Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, Jay-Z, John Coleman. Dio was popping. Another day. Another day. Another half dollar. Yes. That viewership is just tick, 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 tick ticking tick. away. Uh, I know, right? Yes. Good feedback is growing. It gets me excited. We yeah. love the feedback. The feedback from the fans, the viewers, and the listeners is what keeps us motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, bought a new bike over the weekend. Uh, yeah, I heard finally, about that. I heard finally about pulled that. the trigger. Went to Dick's yes. Sporting Goods, got it off the rack. And, you, know, I, th- you know, I didn't go to Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, but uh, for the past six months, I've been trying to purchase a... Um, uh, a street bike, a, a road bike. bike, a road bike. Road bike right. And I learned there's a big difference between a tri bike and a road bike. And I learned that although I want to do triathlon triathlons, mm-hmm. I should start still on a road bike before I ever move to a tri bike. Gotcha. Like, all right, cool. Okay. Um, learned all about the different name brands. Is it Cannondale? Is it Trek? Is it specialized? The different sizes and the, the different gears and the price points. Right. And, Crazy, yeah, absolutely crazy. I left my house at one. I came home at five. Damn. So it was almost a half a day. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse than buying a car. Really? Yes. Like all the, the the amount of information that goes into it, and I'm not even done yet. What? You still have more to go. I have to like get a hold of this dude and get fitted, I, and that's an extra two or three hundred bucks. What do you mean fitted? Like, don't you just raise the seat or something? That, yeah, it's not like that. No. No. I mean, it's like like they're gonna lay me on a table and they're gonna get out. No, they're not. Yeah, they're gonna get out like a tape measure and they're gonna measure like the distance from my hip to my knee and my knee to my foot and do your feet. What's my torso size versus my my leg size and, and my inseam and my outseam? And they're gonna adjust the bike and like change yes, it. Yes. And. The little bit of research I did working out with people who have already done uh, triathlons mm-hmm. is they're like, listen, we don't care how expensive your bike is or how cheap your bike is. If it's not fitted, it's, 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 not, it's not worth it. Right. They're like, you, you a really expensive bike that's not fitted is nothing like a cheaper, less expensive bike that is that's fitted. Right. Yeah, I learned all types of stuff. You- I tried on seven different pair of uh of bike shoes. The ones that clip in? So is yeah. that what you- I don't even try on shoes. Like, like I bought two new pair of work shoes, and I just went online. Yeah, just I'm like, I know I like Cole Haan. I know I wear an 11 and a half in, in uh, I'm usually like 11 and a half in work shoes, right. a 12 in like running shoes. Right. And baseball cleats, I probably wear an 11 because I like to wear my, my baseball cleats uh, small. Right. I'm weird like that. Good for you. Yeah, but seven pair. I haven't tried on seven pair of shoes in seven years. That's crazy, man. Yeah, but it's, it's done. Yeah. I, Put on 26 miles on the on the trail. There you go. Yeah, I have to work my way up to 56. 56 is how many miles I'll have to do in the, in the race I want to do. I want to do a half Ironman. Okay. So I think that's 56 miles. It's like a 1.1-mile swim, a 56-mile bike, and then a 13-mile run. How long is that bike ride, a 56-mile bike ride? Well, For the average layman. Three and a half, four hours, I guess. Damn. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you're going 15 miles an hour, mm-hmm. right, if 15 times 4 is 60, so yep. you're, you're going to be somewhere around 330 to, to, to 4. And you're pedaling the whole time, no coasting? Mm-mm. Like Tour de France? Look, there's going to be some times, like I, on my 26 miles I had to do this. I just had to sit up, take my hands off the handlebars, okay. grab a drink. And at that time, mm-hmm. I was probably more coasting. I was <laughs> not, like, you know, hitting it. Right. But I also have no idea what I'm doing. Maybe once I learn what I'm doing and I get fitted, mm-hmm. maybe I can go from, like, averaging 15 miles an hour to averaging 17 miles an hour. And one thing I learned also, mm-hmm. this is crazy. I went at a time where I was on a trail, now on the road. The road scares me. Cars are zooming yeah. by. I don't want to die. Yeah. Like I have no desire to die anytime <laughs> soon. 
So when I go on a trail, that's that's a lot safer, but it's also congested and crowded. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is on the trail to do 15 to 18 miles an hour. Right. So you end up stopping a lot and slowing down a lot and weaving around the kid who's on right. training yeah, wheels. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Good so, stuff. Yes. So all fun stuff. How was your weekend? Too short. Too short? Like you were jamming out to Too Short all weekend? No, like, like old was, school no, 1988? like it was too short. Like every weekend of my life feels like it was too short. John, you act like work is like so stressful. It's not. That's not I love it. What I mean, we about? get to create content. I know, and I'm excited about today's episode. Yeah, I'm excited too. But before we get started, let's talk about the content that you create and where people can find it. Go ahead. They can find it on YouTube. We have our very own YouTube channel. It is at The Lone Officer Podcast. We would love for you to subscribe. YouTube is also a great forum for you to leave comments, whether they're suggestions, corrections, mm-hmm. or just giving some accolades. Or look, if you want to um, talk a little shit, talk a little shit, just know that sometimes I'll be in the gym and I'll be checking YouTube <laughs> and I may back. fire back. All right. So YouTube's a great place to start. Yeah. Spotify, yeah. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you go to listen to podcasts, you can find us. Please subscribe. Please give us a five-star review. We'll definitely appreciate it. If you like what we're doing, please share it. Mm-hmm. Whether you're sharing our YouTube channel or you're sharing one of our various um, social media platforms. Oh, we would get social media. I'm thinking one of our various podcasting oh, yeah. platforms. Oh, yeah. Social media. If there's a social media account not named Pinterest, we're there. <laughs> right. Meaning we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're even on LinkedIn. All four of those are at the Loan Officer Podcast. We do not Snapchat, and I don't know if we ever will. Mm-hmm. I'll never say never because never is a strong word. It is. And if you want to find us individually, I am Dustin Owen. I am on LinkedIn and I'm very active. It's a great place to connect with me, ask me questions, etc. Right. His name is John Coleman or just John. Look him up. He's on Google. There it is. All right. All right. Now let's get down to business. Today's episode. Today's episode is somewhat viewer requested. Yes. The life, okay. the life of a loan from start to finish. So we're going to talk about home loans. Yeah. We're not going to talk about auto loans mm-hmm. or credit cards or personal lines of credit, which yeah. we've talked about on the show before. We have. Like, we do it all. Like, the purpose of the show is truly everything you should have learned in high school but didn't. Mm-hmm. But we have a special focus that focuses on content that is good, going to be good for people who either sell homes for a living, mm-hmm. finance homes for a living, or at some point in their life they have been or want to be a homeowner. Yeah. Basically about 75% of the American populace. Yep. And then we do like to um, solicit feedback from our viewers and listeners mm-hmm. and fill as many requests as as humanly possible that makes sense. Right. And the, the request came in from a younger, newer loan originator. So mm-hmm. this is someone who finances home, uh, homes for a living. Right. And he's like, hey, D.O., so I know what to do to like go out and find someone who needs a home loan. Mm-hmm. And I know how to take their application. Mm-hmm. But when I submit that loan to my processor, I literally have no idea what happens next. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Well, the good news is it sounds like this individual at least works for someone mm-hmm. that has a very competent operation staff. Right. And maybe he does not need to really worry, but he should definitely know what happens. Right. So we're going to talk about the entire life cycle. I'm going to get to answering his question, but mm-hmm. I do want to start with like, well, how does the loan cycle go? How yeah. does it? Because we once hired a top producing realtor to come work at Waterstone as a loan originator. Mm-hmm. And he's one of my favorite hires, and it didn't work out. His, he, he ended up saying, I wish I found you guys 10 years earlier before I built my real estate empire. But you know, he, he realized that doing loans was way harder than he ever imagined. Mm-hmm. He thought a mortgage pre-approval was literally something that could be done in five to seven minutes. Really? Yes. Like he thought, yeah, I just thought you pulled their credit and if their score was good, you issued a pre-approval letter. 
I'm like, well, that's what hacks do. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, look, you can disagree with me, but you're a hack if that's what you're doing. Because the loan process starts at pre-approval. And that is where John Coleman picks up the phone and he calls a mortgage professional that has a reputation of knowing what the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that mortgage professional facilitates a credit application. They ask all the right questions of John and John produces information to validate what he verbally shared mm -hmm. with that loan officer. Right. right. So a loan officer is going to ask you about your income and your assets. They're going to talk to you about how much money you have set aside to go towards down payment and closing costs and what's your comfort monthly payment and not just where you work, but how long you've worked there, not just how much you make, but how you're paid. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to want you to document it. Mm -hmm. And once that information is documented and verified, that loan originator should then run you through some form of an automated underwriting system or a validation system that basically states as long as the loan officer who took John's information knows how to read income, knows how to read assets, inputs the information correctly, mm -hmm. there's a computer software that'll validate it. And at this point, I feel pretty damn good that when I tell John he's pre-approved, he's pre-approved. Mm -hmm. When I quote a payment, I'm quoting a payment that's within $100 of accuracy. When I quote estimated cash to close, I'm estimating cash to close that's within 1000 or $2 of what it's going to be. Right. right. That's the very beginning of, of the process. Mm -hmm. That's called a pre-approval. Now, once you're pre-approved, your next step is to go out there and make a formal loan application, but you're not ready to make a formal loan application until you have a property in mind. Now, if this is a refinance transaction, that's pretty easy. Right. The home that you currently live in or you already own is the home that we're gonna be refinancing. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it's like, hey, John, once you're comfortable with the payment and once you're comfortable with the benefit that this refinance is bringing to you, yeah. you give me the thumbs up, I click a button and I lock you mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm at which point you have made formal loan application. Our next step is to get you a boatload of disclosures, whether we do that electronically or in person, and you're going to execute them. If you have questions, we're going to schedule a time that we can go over them, whether it's in person or on Zoom or just over the phone. Uh -huh. And I'm going to go from being in the driver's seat as the loan originator uh -huh. to the passenger seat when I hand your file off to a mortgage processor. Okay. So that would be a refinance, a purchase, you would go from pre-approval to a full loan application once you're under contract. So you've written a contract to Mr. and Mrs. Smith to buy their home on 123 Main Street. Mm -hmm. You offered X, they countered back at Y, and Z was your final negotiated sales price. So now you have a property address, a sales price, and a closing date. Mm. All three things that I'm going to need as your mortgage professional to make a formal loan application. Okay. Now, at which point I'm going to go ahead and, and lock you in to whatever interest rate strategy made the most sense for you based on your personal financial needs, wants, and goals. Mm -hmm. Based on our conversation, for some people, it's going to be a no lender fee option. For some people, they're going to pay points to buy down their rate. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to want to do no monthly mortgage insurance. Some people are going to want to do lender paid mortgage insurance. Like This is where the fun part of deal structuring happens. And normally, whatever your interest rate lock strategy was, mm -hmm you had that discussion upfront at pre-approval when you were probably given two or three options that make the most sense for you that you do qualify for. Right. Now, when you say like the fun part getting creative, I've heard you say that a lot of times, like when you get to structure a, a loan and make deals and, you know, just, can you explain that process? Well, there's no such thing as a one size fits all mortgage, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it, if the media tells you that they're lying, it's not mm -hmm. right. Mortgages need to be tailor made to match your financial needs, wants, and goals. You may have $50,000 in the bank, but after our conversation, 
we may determine that it makes more sense for you to only use 30,000 of that 50. Mm. And then it makes more sense for you to take that 20 grand that you have extra and put it elsewhere. Mm. You may choose to do a loan that has a slightly higher interest rate, but no monthly mortgage insurance, because that's a lower monthly payment. Mm -hmm. You may choose to spend an extra $3,000 at closing to acquire the cheapest interest rate possible, because you may feel very strongly that you are going to be in this home and keep this same mortgage for 10, 12, 15 years, at which point it would have made sense for you to do that. Mm -hmm. Or you may choose the opposite. Like there's choices that need to be made based on where you are in life, where you are um, from a financial standpoint and where you think you're going. Right. Right. So that, that's the fun part. Yeah. Um, it's actually really fun when someone's selling a home, at which point they have a boatload of equity. Mm -hmm. That equity is like their money. And when you sell your home, you're unleashing that money. And people's natural knee-jerk reaction is, I'm going to put it all down on my next home. All of it. All of it. I can pay. I can get this thing paid off quick. Yeah, which may be a good option for them. Mm -hmm. But but maybe they need to actually sit down with a financial advisor. Maybe they don't have a financial advisor. So a loan officer like myself could A, recommend them to one or two financial advisors, but B, put some thoughts in their head. Mm -hmm. Hey, I see here you have a couple student loans. What's the interest rate like on those? I see here you have 10, 15 grand in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Hey, the home that you're buying, or is it already like exactly how you want it? Or do you anticipate having to do some kind of remodeling? Mm -hmm. Hey, I see here that you have a nine-year-old and an 11 year old. How important is their college savings to you? And where do you stand on that? Right. Hey, when I was doing your loan, I noticed that you didn't mention anything about a 401k or an IRA. You know, you're at a point now in life where you're in your mid thirties or your early forties. Are you saving sufficiently for retirement? Right. And all of a sudden that conversation is like, Hey, I know you're going to net 200 grand when you sell your house and you're buying this new house for 400. Maybe you don't put all 200 down. Maybe we'll put enough for 20% down or 10% mm -hmm. down. Let's clear out those student loans. Let's clear out that negative credit card debt. Let's start an IRA for both you and your spouse. Right. Let's start a 529 for both you and your child. But by the way, I'm not a financial advisor. I just play one on TV. <laughs> so let me get you in the hands of one because they, that person can sit down with you and really consult. Mm -hmm. I just want to throw ideas at you so that you know that there's other options than just chunking it down. Right. That's not what this episode is about. I think we've done actually previous episodes mm -hmm. that are fairly similar, right. but that's the type of conversation that's going on yeah. between uh, obtaining your pre-approval, now you're under contract, mm -hmm. and your loan officer is going to lock in your interest rate based on your strategy. Mm -hmm. Your loan officer is going to potentially ask you to update some documents, so LOs out there, you collected a bunch of docs maybe 30, 60, 90 days ago for the pre-approval. Mm -hmm. But you probably don't have everything that you needed. Maybe you forgot to get a copy of the driver's license. Maybe you only got one pay stub and not two. Mm -hmm. Maybe you obtained two bank, st bank statements, but you noticed that it's been a couple months, so you need to update those bank statements. So at this time, the loan officer is going to request updated documents, mm -hmm. and then they're going to hand the file off to their processor. And when I'm explaining this to the consumer as a loan officer, I always talk about, hey, for the past X amount of weeks or days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, mm -hmm. I've been in the driver's seat. And Brittany's been in the back seat. Do you know who Brittany is? Who's Brittany? Yeah, you probably don't know who Brittany is. And you're not supposed to know who Brittany is, but she's my processor. She is awesome at what she does. I've been working with her exclusively for the past three years. Okay. And what's going to happen is the minute that I lock you in and I submit, you, I submit your disclosures to you and mm -hmm. you're going to execute those disclosures and you send them back, mm -hmm. I'm going to go from the driver's seat to the 
back seat mm -hmm. and Brittany's going to jump okay. into the driver's seat. I'm still there. It's just, look, if this is a long road trip, it's my turn to take a nap and it's her turn to drive. Right. She's been napping right. right up until now. Now she's going to drive and I'm, and I'm going to nap. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're not in the same car together because we are. Mm -hmm. But Brittany is an extension of me. And by the way, loan officers, this handoff is extremely important. You need to sell your processor. You need to sell his or her role in the transaction. You need to let your client know that although you're not going to be their main point of contact, you're, you are there and you do meet with your processor, whether it's daily or weekly. Mm -hmm. And if you're not meeting with your processor at least every morning to do a quick huddle or at a minimum once a week to do a pipeline review, start doing that like now. Yeah. But you can't be involved in your file. You can't be chasing down conditions. You can't be uh, constantly picking up the phone when your client has a has a uh, has a um, question, mm -hmm. because you have to be out getting the next loan, pre-approving the next buyer, structuring mm -hmm. that the next loan application. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you're ever going to be able to scale yourself to the ability to do more than three to four loans a month. Are there a lot of like younger loan officers, newer loan officers that when they start and hand off that file, they're like micromanaging in the weeds, like, hey, how's it going? Like yes. looking over the shoulder and that's when it becomes, yes. yo, I can't even do my job because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's people with 20 years experience. That still do it like that. That still do it that way. Yeah. It's like always a, a question I ask them, like, do you have 20 years experience or have you been reliving the first year in the business 20, 20 times in a row? Ah, uh, yeah. Damn. You know, I mean, at some point, you have to be able to let go. You have to trust the system and trust the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll tell my loan officers, look, if your loan doesn't close on time and it's something that we did, I will take a corrective action to make sure it never happens again. And by corrective action, I'm not afraid to tell someone that this job's not for them mm -hmm. if they're not closing your loans on time. Mm -hmm. If they're not being nice to your referral partners, they're not treating your clients with, with white gloves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... We are all humans and you know, mistakes happen, things get overlooked. But if you're jeopardizing my relationships and you're not closing my loans on time. Yeah. Now, I also know that any processor is never going to ask for or, or collect conditions the same way that I do. Mm. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not that great. Like how self-centered do I need to be yeah. to think that no one can do it better than me? No, lots of people do it better than me. Yeah. You're like, not just in my office, but throughout the city I live in, the state I live in, the freaking United States. Mm -hmm. So no, I need to be able to hand that file off. I need to have a very good handoff uh, conversation with my home buyer, mm -hmm. with, with the borrower, and I need, need to let my processor do his or her job so I can go focus on my job. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm finally getting around probably 15, 20 minutes into this uh, episode mm -hmm. to what the listener really wanted. He's like, but what happens? Like, what does that processor do? Yeah. Okay, well... In short, and I'm going to miss a lot of things. So my processors that are tuning in, please know I'm not trying to shortchange you yeah. or diminish what you do. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to give a very high level for the loan officers who tune in as well as the realtors who refer your mortgage company business and their home buyers who come to us to finance their home purchases. The processor is going to have to communicate with the title company in order to let them know that we have a new file, let them know that we need to get a title search and title insurance. and everything that transpires with the communication between lender and title company. Okay. So they, they help facilitate that. The processor is going to go and do all the third party ver verifications. So for example, if I need to verify John's income via the IRS, my processor is going to order a 4506. My processor may have to verify employment, whether it's through the work number or whether it's old fashioned fax machines mm. and, and pieces of paper. They have to do what are called verifications of employment or VOEs. Okay. Some loan programs require VOMs, verification of mortgage. What if I have to 
document that John Morgan has. John Morgan. Wow. Right. What's up, John well, Morgan? Hey, shout out, John yeah. Morgan. Yeah, size matters <laughs> yeah. for the people. Yeah. Um, that John Coleman mm. has paid his mortgage on time for the past 12 months. Mm. That's going to be a processor's duty. There are things that happen where, like, we call them fraud guard is, like, the, the service we use, uh -huh. where we do a public record search to make sure there's nothing that is um, – unforeseen that maybe is not reflected on the credit report, but has happened. Mm -hmm. Usually things like a foreclosure. Was there a foreclosure in the past that maybe isn't showing up on the credit report, but it's going to show up on, on this public record. Right. So the processor's doing that. And then when things do pop up, they have to clear them. And by the way, and this is going to absolutely baffle everyone, things pop up that are erroneous. Mm -hmm. They're false. You're John Coleman II. Yeah. That's not you. That was your dad. Mm. That's not you. That was your brother. We have the same name, just a different middle initial. Right. Right. Like my, my aunt and uncle named all three of their sons Richard. There you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's Richard J. It's Richard Jason. It's Richard Jonathan. Right. They're all Richard, but they go by their middle name. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So yeah. imagine if you're one of those Richards doing a loan. Yeah. And you're like, ah, no, that's not me. That's my dad. What? So does oh, it... that's not me. That's my brother. Yeah. So people have to clear that. How about this? The IRS is like, oh, I don't have a record. Well, I know I filed. Yeah, but something happened and we're missing like 10,000 records. Mm. Okay, well, a processor has to still do their job. They still have to verify through a third party mm -hmm. the information. Is there like a checklist that processors work off yes. of that they know like, hey, I need yes. to do this? Like, So it's like not the same for everything? Like, Huge I know checklist. Okay. Yeah. Like if someone had a divorce, we may need a divorce decree. The loan officer maybe forgot to get a divorce decree. And we need the divorce decree to make sure that that the person isn't paying any type of spousal support or child support. Hmm. I mean, bankruptcy documents. That's an easy one that a loan officer neglects to, to ask for that may be required to be in the file. So a processor's job is to ultimately get the file so complete that they can hand it off to an underwriter who's going to validate that all the information that's in that file will meet the regulatory requirements of what we call the guidelines. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, as mortgage lenders... All we are are manufacturers of widgets. Widgets. And we're only going to manufacture a widget that the market will purchase. And right now, the market will only purchase a loan if it meets certain requirements, right? It meets Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's underwriting standards. It meets HUD's underwriting standards. It meets VA's underwriting standards, mm -hmm. right? Or this particular loan is going to get packaged into this private label security, this, this financial instrument known as a mortgage-backed security, and all of the loans that are in there must meet these types of requirements. Income is val validated a certain way, systematized with debt to income ratios under X and with average FICO scores above Y. Mm -hmm. So we're the manufacturer of widgets. A loan officer has an idea of how to put together a widget. Mm -hmm. The processor comes behind them and like, you know, polishes it. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately the, the underwriter is going to QC it. They're going to validate it right, before it gets packaged and sent off to the store for purchase. When mortgages started like back in the day, did they always have this like three-tiered system with like loan officer to processor to underwriter or like in the beginning in the wild no. progress, was it just oh, like a loan oh, officer? You know, um, like, I don't know. Like okay. old, old, old school? Not like going old. back to the 30s and no, 40s? No, but like maybe, you know, since the, I mean, since modern times, I would say. For I, the past 20, 30 years, It's been yes. like this, okay. For the past 20, 30 years, you've had the loan officer was essentially the salesman or saleswoman that went out and uh, had the initial conversation with the consumer. Gotcha. They went out and built relationships in the market to gotcha. where 
people would want to go to that bank or lender for their loan. Mm -hmm. The processor, especially way back in the day, we used to joke, loan officers went to bars and got drunk and went on the golf course and got drunker. Right. Came back with a couple names and phone numbers written on a napkin and a processor did all the work. Really? Yeah, that's what I kind like of... That, that's that what, was yeah. like old school how it was explained to me. That's not how I've known it over the past 16 going on 20 years. Okay. Loan officers, especially in today's day and age, you got to know your shit inside and out. You have to be as smart as a underwriter when it comes to knowing your, your guidelines. Mm -hmm. The processor helps you um, document I dot T cross. Mm -hmm. They're going to validate. Like a processor is going to order tax transcripts and verifications of employment, but they're also going to review it when it comes in. Mm. Right? A good processor is going to review it to make sure there's no discrepancies, to make sure that the income the loan originator used at pre-approval and the income that reflects on the borrower or client submitted ba uh, bank, not income, I'm talking about uh, pay stub, yeah. actually is the same information the IRS is saying, yes, that matches what, what they reported last year. Yeah. They're also going to order your appraisal. Hey, that's something that, that they're going to do. They're going to work with your homeowner's insurance company in order to, to get a bound policy. Hmm. Right? Part of your payment is one twelfth of your annual homeowner's insurance. Mm. When we're qualifying you, we need to know what your insurance is because that's part of your debt to income ratio. Mm. And you have to have insurance on your home when you're financing said home. Now, if you own your home free and clear and you paid cash for it, you paid off your loan, I guess technically you don't have to have homeowner's insurance. You would just be an idiot not to, right. uh, especially in just about every state. Because if you're in California, you got to worry about fires. And if you're in New Orleans or Florida, or North Carolina, you have to worry about hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the Mississippi Delta region, you got to worry about flooding. And if you're up in the Midwest, you have to worry about tornadoes. Yeah. Right? If, you're, if you're in the Northeast, you have hurricanes and you have ice storms. Yeah. Like, yeah. whichever way you look, you need to have your home insured. Uh, so you should always have homeowner's insurance. And that's the the what a processor is doing. Now, once they get all that information, they submit it to the underwriter. Mm -hmm. And the underwriter is going to say, Yes, but mm. usually it's yes, but. but right. So it's like the loan officer put everything together. Mm -hmm. Then the processor polished it up. Mm -hmm. Then the underwriter reviewed and said, oh, you're still missing one or two things that I'm going to be required in order to finalize this as a fully approved loan. Gotcha. And then once the underwriter signs off on it, you're still not done. Damn. You still have to go to a closing department. This is a, a department whose sole job is to communicate with the closing agent or the closing attorney or the title company, whoever, whatever state you're listening in, whichever state you're going to close this transaction. They're all mm -hmm. synonymous to me, right? But um, in California, they're going to talk about closing an escrow. And here we just say we're going to a closing and we use title companies. But in Atlanta, they use closing attorneys. Mm -hmm. But the closing department at the mortgage company is going to go through and they're going to make sure they have all the proper invoices. Do I have the appraiser's invoice? Do I have the homeowner's insurance invoice? Mm. Did the title company, uh, then they're going to communicate, communicate the title company. Hey, title company, this is how much money we're going to be wiring you. And this is what the note rate is going to be. Mm. And this is what the loan amount's going to be. Yeah, and uh, then the title company's having to figure out or a closing attorney, well, you know, the, the seller is responsible for this many months of taxes because it's we're in August, so they're required to pay seven and a half months, but I need to collect this many from the buyer. And there's a balancing that goes back and forth. And then of two days later, a day later, three days later, what have you, then you go to your closing. Then your loan becomes your loan. 
and then I get the deposit, and then I get the money and get the check. Then I stroke the check and give it to the person, and I move into my house, kind of. Yeah, but we're not using checks these days. You're going to have a wire. Wire, right. Yeah, you're in a wire. So, yes, I mean, if you start with your pre-approval, then your formal loan application, then your loan gets processed. After it gets processed, it gets underwritten. After you're fully approved and you're underwritten, it goes to a closing department. The closing department will communicate with the title company or the closing attorney, whatever you want to call it, escrow agent. And then the two of them will go back and forth communicating amongst each other to basically come up with your closing disclosure, your final CD. At which point you will now know how much money you need to bring to closing, which is going to be a wire 99 times out of 100. You're also going to have what, know what your finalized payment is. You'll then attend your closing, typically in person, but I know we are, as an industry, working on remote online notarization or RON. So eventually you may be able to do this from your iPad. I don't know. Mm. But here we are in 2021. You're still going to closings more times than not. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to sign your life away. All right. Right. Then once you sign your life away, you are a homeowner. You do have a note. That note is securitized with a mortgage. All the mortgage is is a legal document that attaches your promise to repay, i.e. note, to a property. Mm -hmm. That's what a mortgage is. It's a legal document. And then for the next three, five, seven years, you're going to continue to make your mortgage payment. Your loan may be sold. It may, may not be sold. That doesn't change any parameters of the note nor the mortgage. Mm -hmm. Just changes who you make your payments to. And you're going to do this all the way up until you're ready to refinance or sell your home. Yeah, Within seven years, statistically, you're either going to, re you're going to refinance or you're going to sell. Mm -hmm. Some people will pay off within seven years. Mm -hmm. Few. Most will end up refinancing or they will end up selling their home within seven years. There it is. Yep. And then while you're a homeowner, it's imperative that every single year you should be reaching out to your loan officer to check in and say, hey, is the mortgage that you put me in last year, two years ago, three years ago, still my best option? Hmm. It's a 20, 30 minute conversation that, that you as a homeowner responsible, fiscally sound and responsible, you should be having. And loan officers, sometimes our clients get too busy. They might have forgotten our phone number. They shouldn't have, hmm. right? Hopefully you're using some kind of a service like HomeBot or Jungo or Total Expert or Top of Mind. You're finding a way to stay in contact and stay in front of your past clients. But if they get quote unquote too busy, it's on you. This is your client. It's on you to make sure you're staying in front of them. No different than my dentist reminds me hmm. when I haven't seen him. Hey, you need to come in for a cleaning. You need to come in for some new x-rays. My dermatologist sure as hell loves two things I love to do. A, cut on me and B, cut on me some more. <laughs> but they can't cut on me if I don't come in there. Right. So they do a great job of staying in front of me. Hmm. We as mortgage professionals need to be doing a great job of staying in front of our clients. Mm -hmm. And clients, if we're not, feel free to reach out to us or feel free to reach out to someone who will. Yeah. I hope that answers the question that this particular audience member was looking for. Right. I know he was essentially looking for, hey, what happens when I submit my loan to my processor? Yeah. And that's well, what happens. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. If you like what John and I are doing and you want to hear more or if there's something particular that you want to you want to hear us talk about, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Like us, share us, follow us mm -hmm. at the Loan Officer Podcast. He's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen, and that's all the time we have for you. We will catch you on the next episode. Peace.